Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author, and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. Now, I don't know if you remember in my rant last week, but I did say that a subject which I was going to cover in the future is what drives house prices. And I think it's an important subject that we all need to have a basic understanding of. So now's as good a time as any. Let's do it now. But let's talk about house prices and what drives house prices. Because I've got to be honest with you, I hear a lot of chatter around this subject, but it's often chatter at a very superficial and basic level. It goes something like, Population increases are going to make house prices go up, and we're not building enough houses, so that's going to make house prices go up. And then whoever's saying it will give a very satisfied look like, I've nailed it, I'm I'm the amateur economist and I've got this sorted, and then they'll move on to the next topic, like we fully exhausted the subject and it's just so obvious what more is there to say. Well, there is a lot more to say, to be honest. There's a lot more to house prices than just population increases and whether we're building enough houses or not, although undoubtedly they are a part of it. And I'm not saying that thinking that is wrong. Thinking that is actually right, but it's only partially right because there's other things that we need to think about. Now, before I forget, and I don't often do this, I don't often plug myself. Harry, the recording guy's looking at me now, wondering what on earth he's gonna say next. I don't often plug myself, but I've actually written a special report about this. And if you'd like a free copy, you're very welcome to come to my website, www.thepropertyteacher.co.uk. And if you click on the free report tab, you'll have to put your email in. But if you put your email address in, you'll get a free report all about my views on house prices, why they increase, and also what the benefits of increasing capital values are to property investors. By the way, I ought to warn you for the sake of being fully transparent, If you do put your email address in, you'll probably end up, in fact, you'll undoubtedly end up receiving my newsletter every Friday morning, which hopefully is a good thing. But if you decide it's a bad thing, you can always unsubscribe. So I'm telling you that because it's a free resource which will help back up what I'm going to say in this podcast. So just come over to thepropertyteacher.co.uk, plug over. So what is it that actually drives house prices? Let's think about this argument that it is all about the population or that it's about not building enough houses. Let's just think about this. When the market fell in the last property crash of 2007, 2008, was the population still increasing? Well, I don't know for sure, but I suspect it probably was. There's no reason to assume that it wasn't. And was it true that when property prices fell in 2007 and 2008, that at that time we weren't building enough houses? Yes, that's undoubtedly true. We weren't building enough houses. So if that's the case, if the population was increasing and if we weren't building enough houses, why did the property market crash in 2007-2008? Because logic would suggest that the things, the, the criteria was in place for house prices to increase. It must be more than that, mustn't it? Now I know that that's fairly obvious, but I just thought I want to set the scene really. It's partly house prices, it's partly population, but it's only part. Again, let's think about this whole argument that it all comes down to population. What if the population of the UK increased massively for whatever reason? Not even going to go into that. We've all got our own imaginations and we can 
probably imagine reasons why the population might suddenly massively increase. But what if that massive increase in population actually all decided that they weren't going to live in their own homes, we were all going to live in maybe 15 to a house, or even 15 to a room. I know some of you HMO landlords are thinking, that sounds good. Now, I'm not really saying that. And for any politicians, by the way, who are listening to this, I'm not suggesting we should live 15 to a house or 15 to a HMO room. But just think about this. Probably three or four generations ago, family groups used to get together and live in what we would consider to be sort of quite cramped conditions. You'd probably have grandparents living with parents, living with children, and various other people who may have been collected along the way. And it wasn't unknown for large family groups to be living in fairly modest properties and thinking nothing of it, because that's what they did. That's what cultural norms were at the time. Now, if that happened, if we decided that we were going to double up or even quadruple up, we could have more people, but we'd have less demand for property. So here we are. Now we're getting somewhere. It's not just about the numbers, but it's how those numbers actually relate to demand. Now the thing is, the modern trend actually is probably the opposite to that. The modern trend is that we all want to spread out perhaps one person per studio flat or per flat or a couple per flat or a family per house. And of course, sadly, with the rate of divorce the way it is, for example, and, and life partners splitting up, we could end up with one parent with children per unit and the other parent maybe with other children or with children going to visit in another unit. So maybe we're actually getting to the stage where one family may actually need two properties. So we're actually going the opposite way. So the key thing, actually, I would argue, isn't the population as such, but it's the number of households that that population needs in order to function. The number of households is actually more important, I'd suggest, than the actual number of people who are crammed into this island. But what about on the supply side? We're being told constantly that there's not enough houses, and that's probably true. Depends on where you're looking, though, really. One thing which I'd take issue with, though, is that there's a housing crisis. Because, to be honest with you, if you travel out of London and you keep heading north, for example, by the time you get north of Nottingham, I would suggest that there isn't a housing crisis. The further north you go, the more properties there are, the more land there is, there's more space to spread out. There's plenty of room, there's plenty of houses, there's plenty of empty properties the further out of London you go. Now, of course, it's not all just about the houses. People have got to actually want to live in the areas where the houses are. And that's going to be driven mainly by employment and wages and salaries and all that kind of stuff. For whatever reason, many of us don't actually want to live up north. That's not a reflection of up north, by the way. I love up north and I invest up north. But the reality is that the jobs aren't there. The big, high-paying jobs are, generally speaking, stereotypically maybe, down in the south. When people immigrate into the UK, maybe because they've been watching too much telly, I don't know what it is, but they all want to go to London, don't they? They don't want to go to Newcastle necessarily, or Barnsley, or, uh, oh, I don't know, Rotherham. Nothing wrong with those places, by the way. But it's not where they go. They all try and cram themselves into London. And that's why we have this sense that there's a housing crisis. The reality is there's a housing crisis, in my opinion, 
And if you think I'm wrong on this, by the way, go onto the Progressive Facebook group and tell me why you think I'm wrong. I'd love to hear your thoughts. But the crisis is actually a London Southeast crisis. It's not a UK-wide crisis. So demand is definitely part of it. The supply is definitely part of it. But here's what I've seen in my years in property investing. Demand is only one of the drivers behind house price increases. Because demand on its own isn't enough to drive property prices. Let me explain exactly what I mean by that. We could have a situation where everybody in the country wanted their own property. Now there's about, what, 65 million people in the UK now. There's about 20-odd million households. Supposing everybody wanted their own house. So instead of having 20 million houses, we needed 65 million houses. It's a ridiculous idea, I know, because not having little children living on their own. But just go with me on this. We could have that de demand, but if those who wanted their own house didn't actually have the money to buy their own house, they're not going to get one, are they? So it's not just demand on its own. It's got to be demand backed by money. In fact, we could even call the demand a desire. There's people who may desire to have their own home, but unless that desire is backed up by real cash, which they can then go and use to buy a property, we can't even call it demand. Demand is where they've actually got the cash available, whether it's theirs or money from the bank, to be able to go and buy the property. And that's why, going back to my earlier example, that's why property prices did fall in 2007, 2008. There may have been the desire amongst people. There may have been a growing population. There may still have been a lack of supply. But the reason why property prices fell at that point is because there wasn't the finance to back the desire. The banks basically pulled the plug on the money. The money wasn't available for people who wanted to buy. And so the natural consequence of that is that property values then fell. There might have been a desire to buy, but without the money, that desire means nothing. So as I say, demand, we could actually define it as being desire backed by money. And that's why population on its own actually means very little. Well, I say that, that's subject to one proviso, which we'll think about a little bit later. There's a very complicated subject, actually, because there's so many different strands that affect why house prices move. So if money is one of the key elements of value increases, let's look into this a little more deeply and see what it is that affects the supply of money that's available to buy properties. Well, at a very basic level, the amount that a bank's going to lend any particular individual to buy a property will often depend on how much that particular individual is earning. So banks will have multiples, like three and a half times your earnings, for example. Every bank is going to have different criteria, but it will largely depend fundamentally on your wage or your salary. And what we've seen since 2008, which is quite interesting, is that wage growth in the UK has actually been very slow. And this is one of the reasons why in some areas of the UK, property prices have struggled. If you think about where property prices have struggled the most, it's usually where employment has struggled and where people's living standards have struggled because the wages haven't been there. So that's one element, how much people are earning. So let's have a think about something else which is going to affect money, and that's inflation. Now, traditionally, it's usually been the trend that house prices run slightly ahead of inflation and rents run slightly behind or equal with inflation. What we've seen since 2008, though, is that wage growth has lagged inflation, which is quite unusual. In most periods of history, wages have jumped ahead of inflation. 
that hasn't been happening. And that's one of the reasons why the Bank of England's been a bit wary about increasing interest rates over the last few years. Because the effect of that is that consumer spending power has diminished. Now, what does that mean for property prices? Well, in essence, it means that the amount that people can actually afford to spend on property, whether that be on mortgages or on rents, has diminished since 2007, 2008. Now, there's early signs that that's just beginning to change. The latest report on inflation from the Bank of England, they talked about what they think is going to happen to wage growth over the next months and years ahead. And they think we're going to go back to a more normal position. But we've had like this decade where people have really found that their money in their pocket has suffered because of inflation and because of poor wage growth. And that's had an effect on house prices. Then a bigger picture thing which affects money is employment. And employment can be a big driver of values, both on a national level and locally. Because if unemployment's high and everyone's skint, then of course that's going to have a negative effect on the values of properties. So again, whether people have got jobs or not is going to affect whether house prices are going to go up. No matter what the population is, if the population's unemployed and doesn't have any money and can't borrow money from the bank, property prices aren't going to go anyway. Well, there's only one way they're going to go, and that's down, isn't it? No matter how much desire there is, there's no money to back that desire. But even if employment increases, the positive impact might still be impeded in part if wage growth is limited, which is what we've seen. And there's been an argument that a lot of the employment that we've seen generated since 2008 has actually been in the form of people becoming self-employed or going part-time or having limited contracts, for example, all of which would impose some limitations on the amount that they can borrow. And all of this will have hampered house price growth in the UK. So you can see just sort of going through that and, and very quickly that house price growth and the different drivers are very, very complicated. And there's no one clear driver which is going to account for all of the house price growth or all of the house price falls. There's so many different things which come into play and which affect each other as well as affecting house price growth. But there's one thing which people very rarely mention and which I think is a really, really good guide to house prices and which in itself could have quite a major effect on house prices. And if you're wondering what it is, I'm going to tell you. It's rents and rental values. Now, you don't hear people talking about this, but if you want to have an idea of what's going to happen to house prices over the next year or five years or ten years, start looking for the trends in what's happening to rents. Let me explain why this is. Now, it's all a bit sort of convoluted, and if we were able to sit down over a cup of coffee, I'd probably get out a sort of pad of paper and a pen and I'd start drawing diagrams and things for you to have a look at because there's an awful lot of maths which could be involved in this, which I'm not going to go into. And by the way, if you're wondering, I can't do maths. I narrowly scraped what was my maths O level at the time. So if you're not very good at maths and you're thinking that might disqualify you from being a property investor, it doesn't have to be that way. I'm living proof that you can be a property investor and not be good at maths. But if we were able to sit down and talk about this, now, I'd probably go into a lot more detail, but let me just give you sort of like the, sort of the headlines on this and, and the sort of the main bullets. It's impossible to talk about property and the way the property market's going without thinking about the way that rents are going, because the two are inextricably linked. Now, we don't often think about it that way, 
because for a lot of us, we, we may be interested in investing, in which case we would think about rents, but for most of the population, they only see property as something which they live in, and so it wouldn't occur to them that rents have any bearing on the value of the property in which they're living. But implicitly, they must, because just take the house that you live in, assuming that you own your own home. What happened when you bought it? Well, you probably took out a mortgage and the valuer went round and he valued your property. And the chances are that the valuer valued your property by comparing your property to other similar properties, seeing what those other similar properties had sold for, and then using that sale price as the figure to help him to decide what your property was worth, which is absolutely fine. And that's the direct comparison method of valuation. That's fine. And that's usually the method we would use. But if we wanted to get really scientific about this, and this is the kind of stuff which I used to have to study when I was at university, learning about property and property valuation, we could implicitly work out what the rental value of your property is, or we could explicitly decide what the rental value of your property is. And from that, we could then work out what the notional yield on your property would be in order to give it the value, given that that's your rental value. Now, I don't want to get into it. That's probably already lost most of you, don't worry about the technicality of it. But what I'm saying is this, the value of property is bound to be related to rental values. We cannot distinguish between the two. So just think of it this way. If rental values are going up, what is the natural consequence going to be for property, all other things being equal? Well, if rental values are going up, then the value of property in a generic sense must also go up. Now, as I said, that's all of the things being equal because we've already seen there's a number of different drivers which are going to affect property values. The major one being the availability of funds in order to buy the property. But if that's available and everything else is as it should be, if rents are going up, then the value of property must go up. And let's just think about this in terms of for a, a, a notional imaginary investment property. Let's assume that I went off to buy an investment property for £100,000. And by the way, if you know me, you know I wouldn't because I usually pay about 60 or 70 because I buy my properties up in Newcastle in the northeast where it's still cheap. But let's just make the maths easy because I can't do maths. Let's, let's assume a property of £100,000 and let's assume it's got a notional rental value of, say, 8%, which means that I'm going to get £8,000 a year in rent for that property. Now, if after a year or two, the rent of that property has gone up a bit, maybe from £8,000 to £10,000, then my notional yield on that property, because I paid £100,000 for it, has gone from 8% to 10%. Now that's not bad, is it? What would actually happen in real life? Well, what would happen in real life is that if that property was on the market, and if I tried to get £100,000 for it, the price which I paid for it, I'm probably going to have lots of investors falling over themselves to buy that property off me because they're still thinking in terms of most properties are providing an 8% yield in that area. The consequence is that they're probably going to bid the value back up. Every market will find its own level. And if it's an 8% area, then the value will probably revert back to 8% from 10%. So my maths is terrible. I've got no idea what that means in terms of the value. But let's assume that, say, for example, it goes from 100,000, it's going to go up to 110 or 115,000, so that the yield and the price stay in the same proportion. That's inevitably going to happen. 
And we see that, don't we? We talk about the ripple effect as values move out from London and they move up north. One of the things which is happening is that as values ripple out from London and as they increase throughout the country, where values have increased, the yield on properties will drop, which means that investors who are looking for yield, and many of us are, will have to move further and further from London in order to find the yields that we're after, which means that the value of properties eventually all get bidded up across the whole country. That's why the, one of the reasons why the ripple moves, and that's why we can't talk about house prices in isolation to rents. Putting it even more simply, supposing my £100,000 house, which is paying me £8,000, what if in 10 years' time the rent had doubled from £8,000 to £16,000? Would that property still only be worth £100,000? No, of course not, because so many people would want to buy the income from that property, which is now generating £16,000 a year. So many more people would be coming into the market and saying, I want a slice of that income, that they would inevitably bid the price of the property back up until it reached more of an equilibrium, so there's more of a balance between the price and the return. It's bound to happen, isn't it? Bound to happen. Now, just think about this from the other point of view, though, of owner-occupiers. That's all well and good for investors bidding up prices. But look at it this way. If rents continue to increase and they increase substantially, many people who are renting at the moment and thinking, well, I don't want to buy at the moment, renting's right for me, they may think, do you know what? Rents have gone up so much now that I might as well just go and buy my own property because it'd be cheaper to actually take out a mortgage than to pay the rent. That can happen. What's going to happen then? Well, if they can get a deposit together, they're going to buy a property. And the collective effect of more owner-occupiers beginning to buy their properties as well will also be a driver of house prices. So you can see that rents are actually just as important, if not more important, than some of the other things that we've been thinking of. So there we are. That's been sort of like a really quick look at what the drivers of house prices. Ultimately, though, What's the biggest driver of house prices? Well, from my experience, from seeing what happened in 2007, 2008, I'd argue it's got to be the availability of cash. So watch the banks. Watch what the banks are doing, because the, what the banks are doing will give you a much better idea as to what the long-term trend is going to be in the property market. So I hope you found that helpful, even interesting. Go on to the Progressive Property um, Facebook group, You've got any comments, any ideas, any questions about that, do let me know. Tag me in so I can find you and we'll have a, a bit of a chat about that. In the meantime, this has been the Progressive Property Podcast. By the way, if you want to know a bit more about me, you can always find me at my website, which is www.thepropertyteacher.co.uk. Come on over there. There's actually a free report you can download, as I say, all about house prices and why capital values are good for property investors. You're very welcome to a copy of that. And in the meantime, until next time, here's to successful property investing. Bye.